How many of you are ready for uh, my Christmas sermon series? How many of you are ready for it? You excited about it? All right. Come back next week and I'm going to start that. Uh, so I'm glad you're all fired up about that. But uh, today we're going to finish up the Thanksgiving series. Uh, that was really cold, wasn't it? That was bad to do that. But I am so thankful. We had a great time going home to Brazil to see uh, my family, to see Stacy's family. We were able to go home and show the grandson off uh, to some people that hadn't seen him yet. And so that was a lot of fun. I'm thankful for all that God is doing in this place. I'm thankful for hand warmers. Uh, Andy Anderson and Betty took care of me. They're tired of shaking my cold, dead hand, I guess. And and so they got me some hand warmers, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Caleb this morning, and, and for Steve Roth playing the bass back with us this morning as well. That's pretty awesome um, as well. So I am I'm grateful. But uh, I've run into a lot of people who aren't all that grateful. Have you ever met somebody that's just not all that grateful? It just seems like God has blessed them so much time and time and time again, and and they just don't seem to get it. I know some people like that. They're just impossible to, to please. I heard about a large dog that walked into a butcher shop one day. He was carrying a purse in his mouth, and he puts the purse down, and he sits in front of the, the meat case, and the butcher jokingly says to the dog, what is it, boy? You want to buy some meat? And he kind of chuckled about it, and the dog went, woof. Hmm, says the butcher. What kind of meat would you like? Would you like liver? Would you like bacon? Would you like steak? And the dog goes, woof. The amazed butcher wraps up some meat, finds some money in the dog's purse, and the dog leaves the butcher shop. Well, there's a man standing in line watching the whole thing go down, and he's so amazed, and he decides to follow the dog all the way home. It goes down the street into an apartment building. The dog gets on an elevator, pushes the third floor button, and then gets off the elevator, goes to an apartment, and starts scratching at the door. The door swings wide open. There's an angry man that comes out, just starts hollering at the dog. And the guy who's watching the whole thing take place, he says, stop. This is the most intelligent animal I've ever seen. And the guy says, intelligent. This is the third time this week he's forgotten his key. <laughs> now, some people are just like that. Have you known people like that? You know, you see something that's just amazing. You see something that is just extraordinary, but yet it is met with less than enthusiastic and unthankful response. Well, we're in the third and final week of our Thanksgiving season here at ECCC. We've learned what Thanksgiving is, and uh, it, it's the realization that we've been given so much. God has poured out so much grace on us. We can't help but praise Him. We can't help but respond to Him in worship. And we learned that the Greek word for this is Eucharista. And last week we learned that the number one enemy of thanksgiving is our griping and complaining and moaning and groaning. And if we want to experience um, contentment in our lives, we've got to stop this practice of ingratitude and we've got to start thanking God for all that he's, he's done for us. And so gratitude is an essential ingredient on this journey to having life to the fullest that Jesus said he wanted us to have. Recognizing God's goodness and giving him thanks through worship is absolutely essential. There's a story that's told in the Bible. It's often told around this time of year, uh, Thanksgiving. It's an example of thankfulness being expressed 
and then thankfulness that is not being expressed. It's found in Luke chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, you go ahead and go there. I'm going to give you a minute to go there uh, to get out your phone and go to Luke chapter 17 or find it in your Bibles. Again, I normally have this on the screen, but now you you got to work for it today, church. All right, you got to do this yourself. So Luke chapter 17, we're going to be in verse 11. And this again, this is a story that's been told many, many times. And sometimes we skip over some of the details of it. Sometimes we don't think about the implications of it for us 2,000 years later, but hopefully as we go through this today, we'll, we'll pick up on some things that are going to help us in our life as well. Again, Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Again, I like the way that this is thrown in there. Luke throws it. He was a Samaritan. He's the one that wasn't supposed to do what he did because Samaritans were thought of as people who just didn't really quite fit into society. They were less than... uh, a citizen, really. Um, and so he was a Samaritan, Luke tells us. And Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. When we fully understand what God has done for us, how can we do anything else but praise him? When, when we really understand all the good things that God has given us, that he's continuing to give us, that he's going to give us for all of eternity, how can we not help but thank him and worship him and praise him? And this very last line in this passage of scripture, it's an incredible thing to think about really. Jesus said, and, and this is kind of troubling for some people, they don't quite get this. Jesus said, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Different translations put it different ways. The ESV says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The NCV says, stand up and go your way. You're healed because you believed. The New Living Translation says, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And when you first look at this verse, you start to think of this question in your mind. If this guy's faith healed him, what happened before this? Because when we read this, it says they're already healed, right? Right? Isn't this why he came back to thank Jesus because he was already healed? And what about the other nine? Weren't they healed as well? And so when we see this, we think this guy's already healed. But then Jesus, when this guy comes back, says, no, your faith has healed you. What's going on here? Were they all healed or were they not all healed? Maybe you're thinking something like this. Maybe, maybe the healing wasn't permanent. Maybe Jesus only offered a temporary physical healing, you know? And if Jesus is speaking of physical healing here, um, then then I think we'd see a a different outcome. Maybe he's talking about something else. He's talking about a spiritual healing. He's talking about something way more than a physical thing. Or maybe you're thinking something like this. Maybe this guy's healing wasn't a one-stop or a one-step process. Maybe this guy had to keep coming back for treatments or something of that nature. 
That's not the case either. Let's look at verse 15 again. Back up a couple of that, uh, verse 17. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? And so here's what is happening. This one Samaritan is giving Eucharisteo. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? He's pouring out his thanks. He's pouring out his praise to God because he's so thankful for what God has done for him. He is pouring out his praise to Jesus. He falls at his feet, the Bible says. He couldn't help but fall at his feet because he was so thankful and he recognized that Jesus is the one who made it all happen. And the response that we see here is this. Jesus is shocked. And he's shocked because only one of them came back. He wasn't shocked that the one came and fell at his feet. He's shocked because it's only one. And he actually wonders aloud why the other nine hasn't done the same thing. And the answer is found once again in our special word. Remember that word charis, grace, eucharisteo. It means that grace pouring out of you because of the grace that's been given, poured into you. And this is what is happening here. This word, this, this grace, this thanksgiving, this praise is offered back to Jesus because of the free gift of grace that has been given to him. And because God has been so good to him, he just naturally wants to return something to God. And the Bible is filled with all kinds of stories that talk about charis and eucharista and eucharisteo, grace, grace, more grace, God's grace. We're going to sing that song in just a little bit as our invitation. God has poured out so much grace on us. We should want to praise him. 10%, one leper returns to give thanks. One returns to express gratitude. The other nine really didn't offer anything to their Savior. This guy had just changed their lives forever. He healed them completely of a physical ailment that alienated them from society that they were eventually going to die from. One gets it, the other nine don't. And so this Samaritan leper, he receives this physical healing but he received a spiritual healing as well. He was made righteous in the eyes of the Lord is what this passage of Scripture is saying. He understood that what he received was straight from God. And he gave thanks to him. And this guy, 2,000 years ago, understood then what we need to understand now, and that is this. Number one, Thanksgiving is a natural byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. So as we dig into this, we see that in this passage, it's kind of a replica of several other Bible stories that we read. It's the theology of God's grace being poured out in our lives, which is accepted through this practice of Eucharisteo via belief. God's grace is poured out on us because we believe. We go to Him for our source of everything. And we see that the lepers, all ten of them, all ten were truly healed physically. They see their healing. They feel their healing. They believe that they are healed. They even do what Jesus says, and they go and they show themselves to the priest, but instead of showing themselves to Jesus, who just healed them, they start going and tell everybody else about what's going on, and they don't even worry about 
Jesus. They just get back to their everyday lives, their normal lives. Instead of showing their belief in Jesus, for what Jesus has done, not even so much as a thank you to him but from the other nine. But one leper, he gets it. And he turns back and he falls on his knees and he confesses his belief in Jesus through thanksgiving and through praise. And he shows Jesus that he indeed has received God's full grace. Not just what God can do for him in the here and now in the physical, but what God can do for us and what God could do for him in the here and now and the later and all eternity. And so this leper not only believed that he was healed and received his healing, but by his actions we believe, or we see that he believes in the one who healed him. He expressed his faith in him. And I believe that, that the thanksgiving that, that he gave to the Lord the worship that he gave to Jesus at that particular moment by throwing himself at Jesus' feet, it was proof that he believed in Jesus, right? This guy had a complete life change. I want to ask you guys something. Can I just get an amen if your life has been changed by Jesus? This guy's life was completely Changed. He, he was set up to live the rest of his days away from family and friends and anybody that he knew or anybody he cared about. He couldn't go into town. He couldn't go into the market and shop or do anything like that. The rest of his life he was going to spend in a leper colony all alone. Even though he was among several people, he was going to be all alone until the day that he died. And Jesus changed that now we it was already alluded to Logan uh, when he mentioned missing Thanksgiving last year missing Christmas last year because of COVID man that was hard wasn't it missing one Thanksgiving without your family without your loved ones this guy was going to spend the rest of his life every single day not being around his family and Jesus in an instant makes him whole again and it not only changed the rest of his life on earth, but it changed his eternity as well. And that matters to us today because some of you, some of us, need to come to grips with the fact that you, before Jesus, you were pretty bad off. And I don't care how good you may have been or how good you think you might have been. You were in pretty bad shape apart from Jesus. And I think there's a growing number of Christians who have become very nonchalant about our salvation. There's a growing number of Christians that just become kind of blasé about their relationship with Christ. Many of us have forgotten the fact that without Jesus, we're toast. We, we've forgotten the fact that without Jesus, we were on a road bound for a place that the Bible calls hell. You might not have a miraculous story. No. You, you might not be sitting out there, someone who was healed miraculously of a disease, or, or you might not have an incredible testimony like 
being someone who's come from addiction recovery or, or a sinful past. or so. You might not have an incredible story. You might think you've dotted all the I's and you've crossed all the T's and you've gone to church every Sunday and you're a good person, but without Jesus, all of those things don't matter. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever take that for granted. And I've said this often, and I hope you don't get tired of me saying it, But if Jesus does nothing more for you in this life than save your soul from hell, then you should fall on your face and worship Him. But you know what some of us do? (laughs) We don't even recognize it. We have some that just think, man, I just need to repeat this prayer or just get dunked in some water and think everything's just fine. We're kind of like the other nine. You know, it's like, okay, God's going to do this for me, and I just kind of go on with my life. If your life is not characterized by a life of thanksgiving and a life of worship, if you're not living a life of Eucharisteo, then I think you're just giving lip service to your relationship with Jesus. And just like Jesus is shocked that the other nine didn't return to worship him, I think that sometimes Jesus is shocked by us when we just give lip service. And we don't back it up through our worship. We don't back it up through our service. We don't back it up through our giving. We just give lip service. Thanksgiving requires, this is the second thing, Thanksgiving requires much more than lip service. I firmly believe that going to church doesn't make you any more a Christian than going to Burger King makes you a Whopper. Right? But I got to be honest. I'm concerned about those who claim to be followers of Christ, but they don't bother to worship Him. I'm concerned about that. Oh. And, and what I mean, and I know it's, it's kind of a weird time, and we have a, an online community, and I'm not talking about you watching online. I'm glad you're watching online. That is worship, and, and I'm glad that you are. But some aren't doing that either. I'm talking about regularly worshiping Him. I'm not even talking about Sunday mornings necessarily, even though that's a part of it. I'm talking about every day. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday, a lifestyle of worship. I'm concerned about people who don't live their lives that way because if you're not living your life out of worship to God, I think you're giving lip service. I'm concerned about those who claim to follow Jesus Christ, yet they never read their Bibles. And they never pray. I'm concerned about those who claim to believe, yet they never serve Christ through serving others. And again, these things don't save you, but they are evidence of the fact that you have been saved through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You can't do enough to earn your way to heaven. But listen to what James says. James says in chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Or save them? Suppose a brother or sisters without clothes and daily food. If one of, the, one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. 
Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Let's go back to our story again. Let's go back to the ten lepers. This passage doesn't directly state this. It's kind of implied. Nine of the lepers responded with their lips. Then one leper responded with his heart. Okay? And that's, that's the difference. And although this passage doesn't directly state that the others were not made well through their faith, it implies that they are. The nine lepers responded with their lips. The one leper responds with his heart. And I think what is happening here is that these other nine are really kind of, I mean, they're not atheists, but it's kind of atheism of the heart, if you will, right? Atheism is to not believe in God. It's kind of a messed up, it's kind of an ironic word, really. Atheism, to not believe in God. However, to not believe in something by its nature implies you actually believe in something. You believe in not believing, right? And so this is what's happening here. We've got all of these, these guys here who they, they believe that they're healed, but they don't believe enough to follow Jesus with their hearts and with their lives. And so they choose not to glorify him as God. And so what I'm talking about here is to accept the grace of God, to accept his healing, to accept his provision, to accept his goodness in our lives, but never acknowledge that they've come from his hand. It's an atheistic heart, really. No obligation to show a response for what God has done for you. There may be a belief in your heart, maybe a little bit, or maybe in your mind, in a God who freely gives or a higher power. There might even be an acceptance of His gifts. But there's no expressive response to these gifts. Or as I like to say, many are great with Jesus being our ticket to heaven, but we don't want Him to rule in our lives. We're great with Him being our Savior, but we are not so great with Him being our Lord. Many are fine with what God can do for us through Jesus, but we're not nearly as excited about what we can do for God to make Jesus known. We give lip service. Do you believe in God? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But if you don't do anything about your belief, what good is it? Goodness, James tells us that even the demons... Believe enough in God to shake. No. If we truly believe, we need to show it. I beg you, stop giving lip service. Because here's the final thing that I think we need to understand about our passage today. A lack of thanksgiving dishonors the Lord. You might say, okay, Ron, I certainly don't want to dishonor the Lord. I mean, if I were to take a survey and ask each one of you, how many of you want to dishonor the Lord today? None of you are going to raise your hand. I'm pretty sure about that. So, I guess the next thing to do is ask, okay, what can I do? What can I do better? How can I get better at this? What can I do to live a life of thanksgiving better? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to show you what a thankless life looks like, and then you do the opposite, okay? Here's the characteristics of a thankless life. The first is this. In, uh, we trade gratitude for selfishness. 
We trade gratitude for selfishness. I think all of us can agree that we live in a very selfish world, and instead of living out this Eucharisteo kind of life, we're all about us. We're only concerned about three people, right? Me, myself, and I. Maybe this story will help illustrate it. There's two friends. They bump into each other on the street one day. One of them looked upset. He's almost on the verge of tears. His friend said, man, what in the world is going on? What has the world done to you, my old friend? The sad fellow said, well, let me tell you. Three weeks ago, an uncle died, and he left me $40,000. He said, wow, that's a lot of money. That's incredible. He said, yeah, I know, but two weeks ago, a cousin that I never even knew, never met him, left me $85,000 free and clear when he passed away. That sounds like you've been incredibly blessed, brother. Well, you don't understand, he interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away, left me almost a quarter of a million dollars. This guy's really confused now. He said, well, why do you look so glum? He said, this week, nothing. (laughs) Now, obviously, that's a stupid story, right? But it illustrates how thankful we can be and how much we take for granted the grace of God in our lives every single day. I think sometimes God has been so good to people for so long we almost expect it. And then when we don't get what we think we deserve or we should have, or something bad happens to us, then we're like, why God? <laughs> He's been so good to us. And we need to be thankful because, well, deep down we're all just a little selfish. And selfishness leads to sin. I believe you can trace almost every single sin that is committed in the history of the world back to selfishness. We want what we want. We want to do what we want to do. We want to satisfy the flesh. We'll do whatever we need to do to have that thing that we think we have to have. You think about it. Pride, envy, hatred, deceit, griping. Nearly every sin is traced back to our selfishness. In fact, James says, what causes quarrels among you, my brothers? It's the selfish desires that are within you. It's the thing that had God throw Satan out of heaven, right? Satan wanted to be like God. He was selfish in the fact. He wanted the praise of the angels like God was getting, and that got him thrown out of heaven because of his selfishness. And so what does he do? He takes that same sin that he committed in heaven and he gets Adam and Eve to fall for that same thing. He says, hey, listen, you can be like God. Well, he knew that was a lie because he tried it and it got, it kicked, got him kicked out of heaven. And so he says to Adam and Eve, you know, God told you not to eat from that tree because if you do, you can be like him. You want to be like God, don't you? And their selfishness bought into that and it's been that way ever since. <laughs> it's been happening in our world ever since. Every sin can be traced back to selfishness. It's only when we begin to practice the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that we're going to see some significant changes take place in how we do everything, right? But if we're selfish, we're not going to see the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Uh, My translation says forbearance. Some says patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. A believing heart has crucified the passions of the flesh. 
and lives in the grace and the mercies of God. That's what we need to do every day. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's crucifying that flesh every single day. Crucifying those passions and desires that Satan throws in front of us, attempts us with. And so then, from this place of gratitude, when we start living our lives, practicing Eucharisteo, we find the strength to choose God above ourselves, to choose others above ourselves. To not have a distaste for the things of God, but have a distaste for the things that are not of God, and to actually hunger and thirst for the things of God, a gift for the desires that He wants to uh, bless us with, not the ones that Satan wants to drag us away and get us hooked on. As, as we close today and the worship team comes today, I want you to think about your life for a moment. I want you to, in fact, you might even just close your eyes for a minute if you don't mind. And I want you to just look deep into your own heart and into your own mind. And I want you to answer this question. Is Thanksgiving a natural response for you? Is Thanksgiving pouring out of your life because of what Jesus has done for you? Or are you just giving lip service? Are you just playing the game? I believe a lack of thanksgiving dishonors the Lord and you're going to be held accountable. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open your eyes. And if you're here today and you have this tendency to be more self-centered, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about what your life might look like if you choose a life of gratitude instead of a life that's about yourself. Imagine a life that instead of being lived out of spite and frustration... Your life is filled with patience and joy because I've done the spite and frustration thing and it's not pretty. Ask my wife, you, she could tell you. It's not pretty. In fact, when I'm full of patience and joy, it's still not all that pretty, but it's better, right? Imagine instead of living a life of anger over maybe a broken relationship because of someone did something to you, replacing that pain with kindness, and begin practicing gratitude. Ask yourself, what sin would you trade for which fruit of the Spirit that you'd like to see in your life as a result? Imagine your life, your relationships, your home, your mental health, if you choose gratitude. As we sing this song this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand and Maybe you're here and it's a first-time decision. You've never responded to the grace of Jesus by falling at His feet and surrendering your life to Him. Uh, it starts there. Confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Repent of the sin that's in your life. That simply means turn away from it. Don't do that anymore. Leave that life. Confess Jesus before others. Be baptized into Him, as Acts twenty two sixteen says, for the washing away of your sins. Well, maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've just kind of started living your life more for yourself and you need to just publicly rededicate and say, listen, God, I'm sorry. I need to do better. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to become a part of our church family. Maybe... 
just your, your attitude in general? Is it an attitude of worship? Not just here, but Monday through Saturday as well. If you're watching online and you need to respond, would you text the word READY to our church connection number and we'll reach out to you get with you and talk to you about what you need to do. Or maybe if you're here today and you're just saying, listen, there's some questions I've got. I don't really want to come up front and ask a bunch of questions. Text ready yourself today to us. We'd love to talk to you. Let's pray.